Uh, so good to see you guys. Uh, I've been waiting to see who would show up. Who are the extra spiritual people that would show up on Valentine's Day? And you are the winners. So congratulations to all of you couples who chose to come to church instead of going out on a date. Just extra blessing all over your life tonight. Tough crowd tonight. All right, it's going to be fun. <laughs> I... Um, did you guys see some of the funny, the funny Valentine's jokes on our Insta stories today? Shout out to Lindsey Crawford. What was, um, you know, the classic, like, I forgot my, I was, no, I was reading in the book of numbers today and realized I didn't have yours. Give me that. What was the one about Psalms? Did you guys see that one? Well, give me some of that. Okay, slightly inappropriate, but funny. I can dig it. Um, fun times, fun times. All right, y'all ready to get into it tonight? We, um, as you know, this is our second week in this collection of talks around the topic of uh, dating and relationships and love and all that fun stuff. And really, really been focusing on um, this kind of idea of how dating should be, like there's a framework for how dating should work. And uh, many people get lost in kind of the chaos of relationships because they spend so much energy focusing on who I should date rather than energy on how I should date. There we go. How I should date. And um, we just have really been, been saying how you date will determine who you date. And so if you'll give some focus, some attention to how you date, then only the right who will match into the how. Does that make sense? And so we want to talk about how do you date? What's the right kind of framework for a healthy dating relationship? And not that we have all the answers, because as we discussed last week, the Bible actually talks this much about dating, but it does talk a lot about who you are to be uh, as an individual, and not only as an individual, but it talks a lot about marriage, and so you can kind of combine the two and get some wisdom into how to date. So we've talked about, last week we began talking about two different paths. These two different paths that you can go down. One is the path of promiscuity. One is the path of purity and um, what all that means. But essentially last week we said when you operate out of desperation in the path of promiscuity, when you operate out of desperation, you date because you're expecting someone to fill what you are lacking. You're expecting somebody else to fill a void that is empty in you, and then when that happens, when someone comes along, all you end up doing is focusing on, you know, just how amazing this feeling is with this person, and it's so great because they're feeling this kind of void in you, and then you really don't ask the right questions to get to know somebody because you're wrapped up in infatuation rather than uh, being interested in somebody, and so I'd encourage you, if you missed out, um, on last week to go on our podcast and check it out, and hopefully it'll be helpful to you. So tonight, I want to talk about um, the next two stages in the path, and uh, we'll have a good time. Are you ready? I want to begin by opening up uh, with a story. When I was in college, I had um, a friend of mine who was on, we were on like a ministry team together. We were a trampoline dunk team, and so we would travel and do trampoline dunk shows together and then have the opportunity to share the gospel with people afterwards. It was uh, kind of crazy and cool. But anyways, I was on this team with this guy. He became one of my best friends, ended up uh, actually we lived together, and just one of my best buddies. And even after college, 
we um, ended up living in the same town, so we hung out together all the time. He was really a good friend of mine. And all this time, I mean, I knew him for probably, I mean, almost like seven years. Uh, he really, like, he, he kind of went back and forth, dated a lot of different girls, couldn't really keep, like, a steady girlfriend. And, you know, that's fine. That's kind of, like, the age that you're in is you're trying to figure that out and date different people and go, oh, nope, that's not the one. Oh, no, that's not the one, right? So it wasn't, it wasn't super weird. But eventually we just started going, man, like, what's wrong? This guy's a catch. Like, why can't we find a good girl for this guy, right? And um, after, you know, it was about a year ago or whatever, Kind of crazy, got into a solid relationship, and they had been dating for a while, and then really out of nowhere, the girl, his girlfriend, caught him in this, like, big lie, a lie that uh, really revealed, like, an obsession that he had and even fueled an addiction that he had to the point where um, while he was dating, he was wrapped up in meeting married couples online and uh, meeting up with them and having sex with them. And all this came out, you know, while he was dating this girl and eventually, and it really just tore our friendship up. It, it um, you know, broke my heart and, and messed him up a lot and that kind of stuff. But as that came out, it just started just revealing and, and um, impressing on the importance that you pay attention to your sexual addictions because I guarantee you, that did not, that was not like the first thing that happened in his life. That was a year upon year of decisions that he had made that eventually led to that. And that's one story that I'm sure you have your own stories. I know I have many more of stories that you've heard of how uh, sexual obsession or addiction or things have led to a lot of pain and a lot of chaos and calamity in someone's life. So, I realize that some of the stuff that we're talking about, even that we began talking about last week, is, is slightly aggressive. And um, because of that, it's because it's real sensitive. And I just wanted to say right off the bat, you know, the last thing that I want to do in this place is set any kind of, like, culture of shame or condemnation for decisions that you have made in your past. Or the last thing I want you to do is feel terrible about how, you know, you've chosen the path of promiscuity in the past and all that kind of stuff. That's the last thing I want. I promise you I've been in those kinds of environments and I hate them. But we have to have honest conversations. Do you agree? We have to have honest conversations. And I just, you know, as the leader of this community, I just want to say, man, this is not a place. Like the reason we say welcome home is because we believe a home should be a place of love and acceptance, but also a place that challenges you to be all that God has called you to be. And in order for that to happen, we have to have honest conversations about what God has called us to as a people, right? And so I just want to set that as like our standard, as our expectation. I want you to know, you know, that's our heart. That's our heart. And if you hear anything that is not coming from that kind of heart, man, please come talk to me because that's really what I want our heart to be. And so I want to let you know kind of the direction we're going for the next few weeks. Next week, we're going to um, have a really cool night, and we're going to focus next week on um, finding healing and restoration from broken relationships. Or maybe it's not a broken relationship, but just maybe broken decisions or painful decisions that you've made that's brought a lot of pain to your life. We're going to focus all next week on that. And so I'd encourage you, um, 
And if that's what you need, please come. If not, please come anyways, because I guarantee you, I guarantee you that you will have a friend or somebody that God will put you in close contact with so that you can be the minister to them and help them walk through something like that, right? Cool. So let's begin. I want to talk for a few minutes about, uh, about the L word. Turn to your neighbor and just say, oh, I love the L word. Maybe you guys don't know what the L word is because that was not convincing. I want to talk about love just for a second. Uh, if you study in the Bible, there are really three kinds, three kinds of love or three kinds of words, Greek words specifically, given to, um, given to describe love. The first one is this word, eros. Eros, uh, E-R-O-S, is this word that's really describes like a romantic um, passionate, kind of a, a sexual desire kind of feeling, describes that kind of love. The other love, by the way, it's not, not bad. God created uh, attraction. He created that kind of stuff. It just has to be in the right context, right? And it cannot stand alone. The other kind of, or the other word that's used for love is this word um, phylos or philos. And this is the word that we get, uh, it's called brotherly love. It talks about friendship, that kind of love, uh, a love that you have for siblings. It's actually the word, um, the word Philadelphia is formed out of that. You know, Philadelphia is a city of brotherly love. So that's where that word comes from. But the third word that's given to describe love in the Bible, and specifically the New Testament, is this word, you may have heard it before, agape. This word agape. And agape love is a whole different kind of next level kind of love. It's meant to describes sacrifice, a sacrificial love. It's a love that is done out of choice, not emotion. It's a love that's focused on the other, not self. Agape, I'll read to you just kind of a few descriptions so that you can understand it. Agape is called out of one's heart by the preciousness of the object loved. It is a love of esteem, of evaluation. It has the idea of prizing. I love that. It is the noblest word for love in the Greek language. Agape is not kindled by the merit or worth of its object, but it originates in its own God-given nature. It delights in giving. Agape love keeps on loving even when the loved one is unresponsive, unkind, unlovable, and unworthy. It's an unconditional love. Last one, agape love desires only the good of the one loved. It is a consuming passion for the well-being of others. Isn't that the kind of love that you want to have? I'll read to you one of the most famous scriptures that talks about love in the Bible. It's read in um, all weddings that you go to. It's pretty much read. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 7. You know the scripture. It says this, love is patient. And by the way, this word love in this scripture is agape love. It says love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy it does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It does not easily, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Isn't that beautiful? Agape love is what we desire in a relationship. And it is a mirror of the love that is shown to us by our Heavenly Father. Now, if you remember last week, I kind of threw out 
a question to you, and I just said, why don't you just kind of think, I just want to throw it out there, you decide for yourself what you believe. Let me do it again. I want to throw out another question to you, okay? This is my favorite thing to do. To you, is love a commitment or an emotion? Just think about it. You don't have to answer. Is love a commitment or an emotion? Let me answer. It's a commitment, right? It's a commitment. It's not just an emotion. If someone says they love you, but then they don't back it up with their commitment, does it feel like you're loved? No. Love is a commitment. Another question. Is love permanent or is it temporary? Let me answer it for you. It's permanent. So what we have here is we have a permanent commitment, right? So where do you experience permanent commitment? Marriage. Now, we have diluted marriage into becoming something that you can easily, relatively easily get out of if you want. But the way that God designed it is that it would be a permanent commitment. So what that means is the quote-unquote love that you see on The Bachelor is not agape love. I love this show, guys. I just started watching this year. It has me just completely wrapped up in it, and I love it. I don't understand it, though. i got to be honest. They, they go on a few dates, and um, all of a sudden they fall in love. I was watching it the other night, and, and this girl you know, sits down with a one-on-one, finally gets away with a one-on-one, not a group date. And she says, I think I'm falling in love with you. I'm like, oh, that, that's sweet and all, but really? Like, I, I mean, I don't know how long the show is, like, actually in person, but maybe a few weeks. So after a couple one-on-ones and all that, like, falling in love? Really? Is that agape love? I, I don't know. I have a hard time with that one, right? So the problem, I, just one of the problems that I see is that we talk about love as if it is something that we can fall into, which therefore also means that if you can fall into it, you can also fall out of it. And it's now just something that you fall into and you fall out of, as if love is something that you can stumble upon. Like, oh my gosh, I fell into love. But agape love describes a whole different kind of love, right? What we just read is a whole different kind of love. Those words that I just read, that love is patient, loves like, or words like patient, kind, doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not, are those words, are those emotions or are those choices that you have to make? They're choices that you have to make to be patient with someone, to be kind, to not be self-seeking, to not be easily angered. Those are, not, those, those are choices that you have to make. So, if it's not something that you can just fall into and fall out of, then the question is, what kind of love are you experiencing in a dating relationship? We said last week that really dating, the commitment level of a dating relationship is essentially, I choose you for now, right? I know that that stings a little bit. But it's true. I choose you for now. That's the commitment. You can wake up tomorrow and decide that you don't want to be in it anymore. So agape love, the love that we've talked about, and low commitment do not match whatsoever. 
They can't even, they, they cannot coincide together. Agape love of sacrifice and all these words that we talked about. Agape love and low commitment do not go together. And you can't make that commitment to someone in a dating relationship. You cannot make the commitment of agape love in a dating relationship. Because your commitment in a dating relationship is I choose you for now. So, let me just get super practical here, and you're not going to like me, and that's okay. I'm going to go home to my wife and kid, and I'll be all right. <laughs> super practical. When you say, I love you, to a boyfriend or girlfriend, you're misusing the word. And you're allowing your intimacy to go deeper than your commitment. Now, if you're using it in the term of, I love you like a brother, like phileo, brotherly love. That's how I love you. I mean, I guess that works, but you cannot use, I don't think anyone's going to walk around saying that, right? You cannot use that word love in a dating relationship and use it to the full extent of its meaning. And so when you say that to a boyfriend or a girlfriend, there's an expectation behind the word that unless you're married, you cannot live up to that expectation because you don't have the commitment to back it. And so I know it's common and it's kind of a normal word that you say to just express affection and that kind of thing. And so I'm not, I don't, <laughs> I'm not ignorant enough to believe that all of you are going to stop saying it. But I do just want to give you a giant warning sign that when you use it, you ought to be really, really careful. And I would encourage you to even maybe think twice about using it. Because you're saying something that has a meaning behind it that you cannot back up in a dating relationship. So we've talked about paths. We've talked about the two paths that you can go down, purity and promiscuity. And we've really been gathering around this verse in John chapter 14, verse 21. Jesus says this, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them, and I will show myself to them. And here we see Jesus' pattern for relationships that he builds that says, my intimacy comes when there is commitment. So I will be intimate with those who are committed to me. So love for God, and this, this is true for your spiritual life. Think about it. When you have a love for God, love for God is not a feeling that you have that you express with your hands raised in worship. It's a commitment to obey him when no one else is watching. It's not only, like, you can express your love for God with hands raised in worship. That's great. But it is more than that. It is a commitment to obey him when there's no one standing around. It has a commitment to it. So I want to talk about the next two stages. We talked about desperation compared to dependence on God. And we talked about infatuation compared to being interested and the paths that you walk down with that. So the next stage that I want to introduce to you as you go down these paths of purity and the path of promiscuity is the difference between isolation and invitation. The difference between isolation and invitation. I think the majority of us understand what isolation is, but sometimes detecting that it's gone too far is really the hard part. 
how most people view dating is that when they find someone that they're, uh, you know, they're interested in, they connect with them, they get along with them, and then the next kind of step is, well, let's spend alone time together to figure out, you know, do we mesh? Is there chemistry? And I think that's valuable, and you need that, right? How else would you know about a lot of things? But the problem is this, and I hope you write this down. Intimacy grows in isolation. Intimacy grows in isolation, not just physical intimacy, emotional intimacy, spiritual intimacy. All these different forms of intimacy grow in isolation. And so on the path of promiscuity, if you walk down, you begin with a desperation kind of attitude where I'm desperate to find someone to fill my lacking, and then it leads to this infatuation where you just are wrapped up in this emotional infatuation of somebody, and you're not asking the right questions. On that path, once you get to isolation, you have given that person godlike qualities. You've expected them to fill a void in you. All these things, you've given them godlike qualities, and now you isolate them so that you can worship them. That's what happens is you're desperate for somebody, then you get wrapped up in the emotional infatuation of somebody, and then you isolate yourself so that they can be the one that you worship. So you're saying, can I not spend one-on-one time with somebody that I'm interested in? No, absolutely. Please spend one-on-one time. But I would encourage you to be careful how much. I would encourage you to be careful how much one-on-one time do you want to spend. And at the expense of what do you want to spend that. I see it over and over and over again. I'll give you an example. I see it over and over and over again. A guy or a girl that loves Jesus full-heartedly, passionate about him, serving in the church, leading other people to him, all these kinds of things. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, have you seen Joey in a while? Right? It's like, actually, no, I haven't seen Joey in a while. Yeah, he got a girlfriend. That's what happened. He got a girlfriend and he stopped coming around, right? And I get that relationships require time and energy and effort and those kinds of things. But I just want to encourage you, be careful at what your time with that person, what you're willing to give away for that. And if it requires that you guys isolate yourselves into kind of this cocoon where you're not surrounded by anybody, isolation is where intimacy grows. Let me give you a few thoughts on isolation. Perhaps... Perhaps God brought someone into your life because you were wholeheartedly pursuing him. Think about that. Like, without that someone, you were wholeheartedly going after him, loving God, serving him with everything you had. Like, everything was on him. And perhaps God honored that in your life by bringing somebody along that you have this interest with. And what a shame it would be if he does that and then you forsake the thing that He brought, like, that caused him to bring that into your life. Does that make sense? So now all of a sudden, the thing that God honored is now the thing that you forsake. And that's just a shame to me. That that is what happens is we get obsessed with someone or someone comes into our life and we isolate ourselves into a cocoon. And inside that isolation is where intimacy grows and we get away from community and away from the things that God has called us to. And we just become so obsessed with that person. That's what happens on the path of promiscuity is because we lean into that person to solve things that they can't even solve. Let me give you another thought. When you're dating somebody, 
it's special when you're with them. When you're dating someone, it's special when you're with them. When you're married, you're with them all the time. <laughs> Any married people in the room? Great. I'm the only one. When you're married, I've got a few that are, it's coming soon, guys. Get ready. When you're married, you're with them all the time. Wake up with them, go to sleep with them. I'm making it sound terrible. It's not terrible, but I'm just saying you're with them all the time. So how you know that you're dating is when you see someone and it's still special. If you see them every day as just a part of your routine and, and well, got to, you know, I'm going to wake up, see them, then go to school with them, then we're going to get home from school, then we're going to do homework together, and then we're going to watch a movie together. And then, like, if it's just a part of your routine, you're acting like a married couple. You're a married couple without the commitment of a married couple. And I just think there ought to be a giant, like, yellow caution sign going off in your mind of going, that's not how it is. Dating is going on dates, Right? Dating is going on dates, but you're doing life separately. Like, I still have my thing that I'm chasing. I still have what God's called me to. I still have the church that I serve in. I still have this. She has that, or he has that. And we're running in these lanes, and God's brought us together, but we're still going after what God has led us to. And we go on dates, and we date each other, but we still have what God has called us to. I'll give you an example. A few um, years ago, a good friend of mine, one of my best buddies, um, got married and it was awesome. And so I called him up a few months um, after his wedding and I was like, man, how are things going? You're married now. What's it like? Is you doing good? He's like, ah, you know, not much has changed. I was like, oh, well, that's kind of depressing. He's like, yeah, it's pretty much the same as dating. I'm like, okay, well, congrats, <laughs> I guess. Um, good luck. But to me, I was like, that's so sad. That's so sad that they were, their dating relationship was pretty much the same as their marriage. And I want to encourage you to fight isolation. The opposite of isolation is inviting. Invite the person into your life. We invite each other to join one another's lives, to be a part of my friend group, not abandon my friend group, be a part of my friend group. Come to church with me. I'm going to keep doing what God's called me to do. You keep doing what God's called you to do. And let's find out where we can join each other. But let's not isolate into a cocoon away from what God has blessed in our lives and what he's led us to. Make sense? Fellas, can I talk to the fellas for a second? Ladies, is that okay? You don't want me to? I don't have to. Fellas, let me talk to you for a second. If you want to win dad, if you want to win dad in the relationship, the girl's dad, Avoid isolation like the plague. Dad is not stupid. He knows what's going on. He knows when you just isolate yourself and you guys are just hanging out in a parking lot in the car somewhere. He knows, he knows what's going on. Don't become the mysterious unknown guy who's winning his daughter's heart. Don't become just that mysterious person who's winning his daughter. If you pull up to her house and you just honk the horn and wait for her to come out, dad is going to hate you. <laughs> Ladies, am I right? Dad is going to hate you. If she's dropping out of college because of you, or she's changing all of her goals to orient her life around you and accommodate y'all's relationship, dad is not going to like you. 
Dad is not going to like you. Listen, he has been talking with her about her goals and what she will make of her life for years, like all of her life. And you come in and you're the mysterious guy who he doesn't know, and now you're stealing her away from that? It ain't going to work. I'm telling you that. It ain't going to work. If you treat her like a princess, I promise you, you will win the king. So do that. Don't be the mysterious unknown guy. Y'all like that one? The second stage, the final stage that I want to walk with you through is this. You go through desperation or dependence. You go through the other two, and you finally get to consume or contribute. The path of promiscuity, you consume each other. The path of purity, you contribute to each other. After you've isolated yourself, the next thing you do is you consume them. You consume each other. What are you doing? When you get alone with each other, playing checkers? I doubt it. (laughs) No, you consume each other emotionally, physically, and you offer up your life. Listen to me. You offer up your life on the altar of the relationship. And now you're completely consuming one another out of a desperate, sick attempt to get your needs met. And that is not a way to do relationships. Inwardly, you're emotionally exhausted. Physically, you're worn out. Spiritually, you're anemic. Outwardly, your grades diminish. Work diminishes. Health diminishes. Relationships with friends diminish. And everything in life is getting worse Because everything is being sacrificed on the altar of your relationship and you're consuming one another. That's a key indicator of a sick relationship, as in unhealthy. And why would you connect your life to someone who's ruining it? Why would you connect your life and your future to someone who's ruining it? But the other side, the other side is a life that contributes to one another. Like, your life is getting better because of her. Your life is getting better because he's in it. You're spiritually strengthened because of that person. You're more emotionally stable because of that person. Things You contribute to one another. But unfortunately, consumption, this stage, consumption is where many people lose the battle with tons of things, but predominantly physical purity. And we've said in previous weeks that Purity is more than just physical. It has a, you know, our goal, our goal is not virginity. Our goal is purity. So it's more than just physical. But I think we would be fools to not talk about the physical for a little bit. Can we talk about sex for, for a second? Aren't you so glad you came tonight? Someone said no. <laughs> it's happening. Let me offer a few thoughts. Let me offer a few thoughts on sex. Um, for the remainder of our time together. Number one is this. I want to encourage you to view great sex as a result of a great marriage. I don't know what your view is. I don't know what kind of background you've come up in. I don't know, you know what you know necessarily about biblical sex and all that kind of stuff. But let me just encourage you. View it as a result of a great marriage. God created sex. It was his idea. He wants you to enjoy it. But because he understands you better 
than you even know yourself. He knows that intimacy is best experienced inside of full commitment. Commitment is the cocoon that intimacy can grow in and be experienced in full life the way God experienced it. Only in commitment. When it is experimented with and expressed outside of that commitment and that covenant relationship of marriage, it has catastrophic consequences. In many ways in your life. And somehow in our culture, we have allowed ourselves to believe that two people just hooking up together in meaningless sex is somehow awesome. Can I just tell you, it's not. It's not awesome. I don't know, well, like I said, I don't know what your view is, but it's not awesome. And this, maybe this is a little weird, but I'm going to go for it. Let me tell you, when um, what my wife and I have is way better than meaningless sex. We've been through tragic things together. We've been through health dynamics in our families together. We've been through some suffering together. We've been through intense arguments together. We've been through stressful seasons together. We've walked through financial difficulty together. And we have, in the midst of it all, committed to love each other the way that 1 Corinthians 13 has called us to love each other. And so when we get into bed together, we bring all of that into it. And it is way better than meaningless sex that culture is telling you is okay. When you have sex outside of the commitment of marriage, it's not love that you're experiencing. It's mutual masturbation. It's not love. And there's a problem, it's a whole other conversation in culture about how we're just okay with that and that's just fine. And that's a whole other conversation. But I just want you to know tonight that when you have sex outside of a commitment of marriage, it's not love. It's not love. And we are experiencing, this is crazy to me, we're experiencing more and more relational chaos and yet people are not stopping to think that maybe it's because we have redefined freedom into being you just do whatever you want and be with whoever you want to be with. Maybe one day we can come to this conclusion that the reality of why we are experiencing such relational chaos and calamity is because we've redefined freedom to being that. And maybe we can understand that freedom is not actually free. Love. Free love isn't actually free. And when we want people to experience love in freedom, it comes at a price. Maybe love and sexuality outside of how God designed them doesn't actually bring happiness. It brings pain and hurt and regret. So let me just encourage you, if you want great sex, Build a great marriage and experiencing, experience it in that. And then the second thing I just want to leave you with tonight is this. Sexual desire is good. Lust is bad. Just know that. Sexual desire is good. It's okay. You can have sexual desire without lust. You're a sexual being. There's nothing wrong with that. God made you like that. And so it's not a curse. It's a blessing, actually. 
And the reason why I think this is so important to tell you, and this is important for the church to preach, is because I've been around Christians my whole life practically, and I've actually seen marriages where people have viewed their entire life, they've viewed sex as like terrible and dirty, and this thing, just stay away from it, whatever you do, it's just dirty, it's bad for you, blah, blah, blah. And then when they actually get married, they can't get rid of that thought, and then they're hurt in marriage because of it. You need to know tonight, it's not a bad thing. It's a great thing. It's a good thing. But it is meant to be expressed in experience under the covenant of marriage. And when it gets outside of that is when lust is involved. And lust is an excessive sexual desire. Listen to me. Lust is craving sexually what God has forbidden. And one of the most helpful things that you can do before you're, you're married is fight against lust. One of the, I've shared this with you guys multiple times, but one of the best things that anyone ever told me before I got married, he said this, he says, marriage, it's getting dark in here, all right. So many things I could say that I'm gonna refrain from saying. Someone said this to me, he said, Austin, I was engaged, about to get married. He said, man, you need to know this. He said, marriage doesn't solve your lust problems. It just gives you someone to take them out on. And so don't think that, well, when I finally get married and I can have, you know, guilt-free sex, then all my lust issues will be okay and they'll go away. They won't. They won't. Now is the time. Now is the time to fight it. Now is the time to ask God to bring healing to it. Now is the time to ask God for breakthrough in that. Because marriage doesn't solve that for you. It's your life, lust is your lifelong enemy. Listen to, listen to me. I'm standing before you, having been married for four years, and I'm telling you, it doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. It's going to be a lifelong enemy, so you might as well begin fighting it now because you can. Although it doesn't go away, it can get easier. It can get easier. So let me leave you with a few thoughts, and then we'll be done. How do you starve lust? I just want to give you a few thoughts to starving the lust in you. Because if you don't, you may turn in or you may experience regret. Like my friend that I told you about in the story in the beginning of the night. Starve lust. Well, Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 30. Let me read it to you. He says, you have heard that it was said that you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he just resets the bar. He says, it's not just a rule that you follow. This is a heart thing. He says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for you, your whole body, to go into hell. Here's what he's saying. Number one is this. Lust is in the heart. It's a problem in the heart. So cut off anything that turns your heart into that direction. And it's different for each of us. You, you know what it is that turns your heart toward that. What is it? Whatever it is, a relentless pursuit to cut that off. If it's movies, if it's the music, I, 
I don't want to be, you know, Mr. Guy up here that's giving you some extreme, like, rules to follow. I don't want to do that. But listen, so if, if you're filling your mind with music that talks about objectifying women, do you not think that over time that's going to get into your mind and then how you see women, you're going to start seeing them as objects? Or the same is true for you, ladies? It makes a difference. So what is it that turns your heart to that direction and then cut it off? Second thing, I'd encourage you to develop a militant discipline toward a zero-tolerance policy for you. If you feed it, it will increase. If you starve it, it will decrease. So starve it. And in your relationships, set boundaries, individual boundaries, not couple boundaries. You set individual boundaries. Hey, this is my boundary. Do not cross it. This is my boundary. And if they can't respect that boundary, then out the door, Kimosabi. No place here. <laughs> Here's a rule. Here's a rule. It's better to be single than to be sick. It's better to be single than to be sick. And so if you cannot say no in the relationship, then say no to the relationship. Third thing. Ask God to increase your self-control. This is about self-control. If you read Galatians, you read that one of the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. This is one of the things that the Holy Spirit produces in you. Ask Him to grow it in you more. Ask Him to strengthen it. This is about you learning to deny yourself what you want. I'll give you an example. I just personal. Um. My wife and I, I told you guys last week, we dated for a long time, years. And we got to a point, I guess we were like two and a half years into dating, and we weren't quite engaged yet. But, you know, we were fighting this battle just like you guys are. We're fighting this physical thing and trying not to let intimacy grow greater than our commitment. And, and it was a struggle for us. And we're constantly in communication about, hey, let's make sure this and that. And, and it was our battle, right? And I remember I had a conversation with Susanna, and I just said, hey, I believe that this is true. If you can't trust me to fight these desires in me for you, what makes you think you can trust me to fight the desires for someone else when we get married? Do you hear me? Like, this is about self-control. And if I can't control my actions toward you, I don't know that you can trust me to control them toward another woman after we're married. It's about self-control. And I remember that was a marking moment for us to go, you know what? This is something we need to chase after. And for me personally as a man, it was bigger than just that. It was self-control in all areas of my life because it was a discipline that I needed. And it was something that I had to continue to ask the Holy Spirit to elevate and strengthen in me because I needed it. And if I didn't, my life was going to fall apart because of it. Last thing, I'm way over time, I know, but last thing I would encourage you with, and this is deserving of an entire night, probably even an entire series, but to starve your lust, I want to I just encourage you, treat pornography like you would heroin. There's a little article by um, a professor at the University of Pennsylvania who's writing, he writes this to the uh, U.S. Senate subcommittee, 
back in the early 2000s, and I want to read it to you. He says this. He says, sexual pleasure is one of the most intense human experiences. Physically speaking, when a man or woman reaches sexual excitement, nerve ending, release a sexual chemical into the brain called opium. Opium means opium-like and is a good description of the power of the chemical. Apart from a heroin-induced experience, nothing is more pleasurable than sex. And this is a wonderful thing in a committed marriage relationship because it helps to bond two people together and to bring joy in living together in a committed relationship. However, there can be a downside to the pleasure of sex. If sexual experiences happen outside of marriage and are constantly repeated, a sex act, a sex act can move from being a simple pleasure to an addiction. And instead of being bonded with a person, you become bonded to the act itself. And if the sexual experiences are pornography, your body will instantly recall the images you viewed for lusting purposes. And these images are stamped into your brain with the aid of hormones released with the aid of sexual arousal. Opian-like. So resist pornography like you would resist a drug that would ruin your life because it will. Last week, I'm so grateful, last week we got to uh, kind of celebrate it or, or really be a part of a movement. You guys are familiar with the End It movement. And so you, you may have seen things on social media with red X's on people's hands, really trying to raise awareness of sex trafficking happening all throughout the world. It's a huge thing and really cool. We got uh, some pictures of a bunch of you that had it, and I love it. I really do. I love it. But let me just encourage you with this. Every time you look at pornography, you're supporting the sex traffic industry. There's actual statistics that prove that. It's proven research that pornography and sex trafficking are linked together. So do us all a favor. And don't publicly raise your voice for awareness if you are privately helping it thrive. I think it's a great movement. I think we should be all about it. But I think it starts with you and your private life too. And it's one thing to say, hey, everyone look at me, raising awareness. But in your private world, you're actually supporting it. And I know this is a, like I said, that deserves a whole week probably. Maybe we'll do that one day. But here's what I want to encourage you with tonight. Man, I pray. I pray that you choose the path of purity. And next week, just so you know, next week we're going to spend, I already told you a little bit, we're going to spend a whole week on, on restoration and forgiving yourself. Maybe you, you've walked down the other one and you're like, gosh, I've been through all that and I've made mistakes all that. We're gonna spend a whole week on that because let me just tell you up front, we serve a God who is rich in love, rich in mercy, always forgiving. You cannot outrun his forgiveness, okay? You cannot outrun it. But man, he's called us to more. And our hope and our prayer is to inspire you and to encourage you to walk down the path of purity where he has called you to. And he's there with his full grace and full love and full mercy to wrap his arms around you and to welcome you in if that's not where you've walked. 
But man, I think he's also giving us a challenging word to go, I got so much more for you. Walk down the path of purity and walk into a life of great reward and little regret. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you. And um, just like I've been saying all night, just so grateful for your kindness in my own life. Because Lord knows I didn't do this right. And there are many, many times where I just was desperate for your forgiveness in my life. And But God, I believe that you've given us wisdom. I believe you've given us truth. You've given us word, your word. And you would desire to, Lord, lead us down a path of great reward and lead us away from a path that's full of regret. And so, Lord, my prayer all week has been that you would just so tenderly and lovingly, Lord, convict where there needs to be conviction and draw people out where there needs to be a drawing and lead them into where you're calling them to. And God, I pray tonight that you would set some people on a path and that this would be a marking moment that for the rest of their life they would look back and go, I remember, I remember when I decided to turn. I remember when I decided to repent. I remember when I decided to leave behind the old ways and press on toward the new and the different that God had for me. So Lord, would you establish us on a firm foundation on your truth? We pray in Jesus' name.